I have three kids. It's like a complete shit show. And Ballerina Farm, Hannah Yellerman, has seven children and is just like baking sourdough constantly, dancing, smiling constantly, and makes it all look as though it's not intense, grueling labor. I mean, she just had her seventh kid like less than two weeks ago. And I think within a week was planning a birthday party for one of her other kids and like hanging up streamers and like cleaning the house and posting a time-lapse video. And I've just heard from so many people that are just like, I want her to rest. This is Unladylike. I'm Kristen. And today we are talking about a figure who has really come into her own, and that is the momfluencer. When I first started keeping an eye on her, this was in kind of the first heyday of Mormon mom bloggers when these anthropology models <laughs> in Utah were creating this kind of vibrant blog culture. Today's conversation is more interrogating how this commodified identity of motherhood also intersects with race, gender norms, and hashtag tradwife life. All of this is what today's guest, Sarah Peterson, has been steeped in now for years. Sarah is the author of Momfluenced Inside the Maddening Picture Perfect World of Mommy Influencer Culture. And this interview that you're going to hear was actually conducted last year and up until now has been an Unladies Room Patreon exclusive. But when I talked to Sarah, the book had yet to come out. And we were also, as you'll hear, in the foreboding weeks leading up to the official overturning of Roe v. Wade. So motherhood, (laughs) motherhood was such an especially charged topic to unpack from this angle. And it's a conversation that I've really just returned to again and again. So I thought that y'all would enjoy my Zoom interview with Sarah Peterson because it's, we could have recorded it yesterday, really. The themes, they are very much still alive and probably will be for quite some time. My name is Sarah Peterson. I've been writing about motherhood and feminism for like five or six years now. And I write about motherhood and feminism because since becoming a mom, I was really disillusioned and radicalized by motherhood. Well, that disillusionment that you mentioned leads me to a term that I learned thanks to your writing. And that is matrescence, which describes the identity shift to motherhood. 
So how would you describe your own matrescence? It was bad. It was really bad. Um, I mean, for various reasons, I sort of unthinkingly pursued motherhood very unthinkingly and uncritically as sort of like a pathway to self-actualization, which really, really is not a good idea. Um, So I had like a really shaky sense of my own identity going into motherhood. I kind of thought motherhood was like going to make me a person. And it didn't. It just created a lot of domestic labor and a lot of responsibilities that, if anything, erased my identity. And so I really struggled to hold on to like any sense of self within that experience. At the same time, I was very much actively trying to figure out like, what do I want out of life? What do I want to do for work? So trying to figure those things out while also having thought that motherhood was going to be that thing was just really, really, really rough. And I mean, I also had postpartum depression, which I think I would have had like, regardless of the psychic adjustments that motherhood entails. But yeah, the first year I was just constantly mad and constantly like, this is a scam. Like why, why is this propped up as this beautiful I mean, obviously motherhood is beautiful in many ways, but why is it upheld as this, like, this identity marker that we should all aspire to and that's going to make us somehow, like, more noble and more full? And and it just really, I just spent so many of those first years trying to figure out, like, what what is going on with the institution of motherhood as we've been, like, fed since birth, basically, if, if you know, if you're female identifying. Well, why do you think... It is, I I think one way that you put it is relentlessly idealized. Um, I think it needs to be for our capitalist structure to survive. Mm -hmm. I think we girls and female identifying people need to be fed this myth that motherhood will complete you. Because if we go into motherhood with eyes wide open, knowing that you're not going to be structurally or systemically supported. You're not going to have much respect or financial remuneration for your labor. Um, you're going to be forced to make really shitty choices and really shitty sacrifices. If you know all these things going into it, I think a lot more people would A, advocate for policy changes and B, maybe opt out altogether. Because mm-hmm. the way it's set up in our country specifically is really it just hurts caregivers constantly. Well, and and to me, it, it seems like the knee-jerk counter-argument to that is, oh, well, being a mother is the most important job in the world. It is the most fulfilling thing that one can do. And it, it's like, the joys of motherhood should outweigh all of the negatives. Right. And, and like what other jobs in our culture do we look at like that? I mean, if it's the most important job, then it should be treated as such. Like we should treat caregivers a lot better than we do. And it also reminds me of like the fucking crime of how little teachers are respected or paid for their work. I mean, like, I I have a friend who teaches third grade and she has a kindergartner and a second grader to come home to every day. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, 
you deserve a million dollars a day, a day. <laughs> it's, it just reflects how little we venerate care work in general, I feel like. So getting into the momfluencer space, what is the difference between a mom and a momfluencer? So the traditional definition of a momfluencer is someone who has monetized their performance of motherhood on social media. So whether that is like SpawnCon or brand partnerships, or maybe they're using their platform to sell like a book that they've written about parenting or about like kid nutrition or whatever. But in some way, they're using their identity as a mother to sell something. But for my research and for the purposes of my book, I'm kind of expanding it to look at how we all perform motherhood mm. in some way, regardless of our platform or even regardless of whether or not we're on social media. Like we are forced to perform our identities as mothers in various contexts. So I think that's really interesting to look at, especially on social media. Like some of the momfluencers that most sort of get into my psyche, I'm not clicking on any of their links necessarily. I'm not buying any of the sponsored products, but like I'm internalizing how they're performing motherhood and it's like mm -hmm. impacting how I see my own motherhood. So I think that's really interesting. Well, how did you become so fascinated, fixated even on this particular culture? Oh gosh. I mean, I think it was, I had my first kid in 2000. God, I'm forgetting 2012. So it wasn't really like mom plans for culture was not really what it is now. And then I had my daughter in 2014. And that's when I started getting into blogs. Mm -hmm. So like love Taza was probably my gateway. And that's Naomi Davis. Are you familiar with that blog or? Mm -mm. Okay. So at the time she was in the Upper West Side. Um, I think at the time she had three kids. And like her feed is super bright, bold, colorful, lots of like close-ups of like kids freckles and just like lots of toothy grins and like red lipstick. <laughs> and just, it looked so joyful. And it really looked like she loved being a mom so much. And this is like right when I was, I had a newborn, I had a two-year-old and I was still struggling with like, I kind of hate a lot of aspects of motherhood and like, Sometimes I'd rather vacuum than like read a book to them. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. And like, so I just felt sort of like obsessed with figuring out like what I might be doing wrong or what she was doing right to like have such a joyful experience. And yeah, so that was sort of, I think the gateway. And then I just kept falling down more and more rabbit holes. And yeah, it was the same. It, it was part and parcel of me trying to figure out why I felt so stuck in motherhood so much of the time and why so many of these moms apparently didn't. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, would you say that today's Instagram momfluencers, are they sort of just the next generation of the mommy blogger? Yeah. And I also think the, the like OG mommy bloggers really paved the way to important conversations being normalized. Like, I mean, we didn't talk about postpartum depression nearly as much as we do now. We didn't talk about stuff like, I don't know, clogged milk ducts as much as we do now. And I really think those, the like OG mommy bloggers are part of why so many of those conversations have been normalized and, you know, put it on a mainstream stage. And this current iteration of momfluencers, they're certainly talking about those things, but it's so much more wrapped up in um, like shopping and in performance and aesthetics in a way that it wasn't for the original mommy bloggers. Well, speaking of performance and aesthetics, let's talk about Ballerina Farm. (laughs) What slash who is Ballerina Farm? So Ballerina Farm is an actual farm in Utah, um, and it's run by Hannah Nealeman, who uh, went to Juilliard to train as a ballerina. She's also a pageant queen. Um, And her husband, Daniel Nealeman, who is one of the heirs, or at least is one of these children of the founder of JetBlue. So this is becoming more widely known that like he obviously comes from a ton of money, but it's not part of their branding at all. Like their branding is very much focused on we're first generation ranchers. We're learning as we go. You know, we're up all night milking cows and like fixing fences while also raising seven children who are homeschooled. And we do it all with a smile on our face. And it's like a lot of idealization of, fresh air and like free roaming children and a lot of idealization of the nuclear family and traditional gender roles and domesticity and hearth and home as both the center of family and the center of like the nation. Mm -hmm. So it's a really rich text. (laughs) And it just, yeah, I, I, they both I mean he didn't used to have an Instagram um handle I think when did he started he's now um on Instagram as hog fathering oh okay and and yeah and his presence is just like a whole thing in itself but yeah I keep thinking like okay there's they're gonna stop providing like fodder for cultural critiques eventually but they they just don't seem to (laughs) I keep finding something new to sort of dig into do you think, uh, are her fans just looking, do you think, for escapism? 
Yeah, for sure. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, mm-hmm. I certainly use social media sometimes to escape. And I think moms especially have every reason to want to escape and we shouldn't begrudge them that. Um, I think it can get tricky if it's like uncritical escapism, if we're not sort of constantly assessing, like, how is this impacting me subconsciously in ways Mm -hmm. that I might not even recognize initially? And like, how, like, what, what does it say about our culture that 1 million people follow this person? And, and what does it say about us that we want this mother to be a quote unquote super mom? And I, I guess I get a little, I don't know, stuck, concerned, whatever. When I see the plethora of comments just praising, I didn't look like that when I was pregnant. And, oh, you've already lost the baby weight. And just, oh, how do you do it all? You make it look so easy. And just all of these toxic, toxic, toxic narratives of motherhood. I think so many people are so tired of celebrating this impossible to attain ideal. And yeah, I think that's like, sort of the sticky, either secret sauce or I don't know, <laughs> of her account that a lot of people find frustrating. Well, in what ways do you think Ballerina Farm is representative of current momfluencer culture? I mean, there's definitely a thriving subset of momfluencers who would probably identify as trad wife momfluencers who, you know, grow their own food, like weave their own linen or whatever and celebrate like a back to basics version of motherhood. It, 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 all, it also sounds inherently white supremacist. It's nostalgia for a time and a type of womanhood and motherhood that never existed for anyone, even rich, white, upper class people. Even they never had true power in, you know, the good old days or true agency in quote unquote, the good old days. And idealizing a time when so many marginalized people were oppressed and so many marginalized people and black and brown people specifically were working in white women's homes to put the white woman on this like angel of the house stage. Yeah, like you said, it's just inherently problematic and and you, you you can't you can't be nostalgic for a time like that without considering the implications of that nostalgia. Now, I, <laughs> I am wearing my liberate abortion T-shirt right now as I am speaking to you, but <laughs> but it just seems like a challenging time, perhaps, to be a momfluencer given the literal politics. And, and restrictions around motherhood, or should I say, you know, forced pregnancy, predetermined motherhood. But, you know, how, how, for instance, does Ballerina Farm feel about Roe v. Wade being overturned? I mean, I don't think she'll ever speak up about politics ever. I think she'll be neutral until her account is, you know, dead and buried. And I talk about this a lot, but Claiming to be politically neutral is a political stance. Mm-hmm. And she and a lot of white trad wife um, momfluencers do speak volumes when they choose not to speak up about reproductive rights, 
about the formula shortage, about the way that black mothers still die at a rate three times that of white mothers. And yeah, it's a challenging time to be a mom or a mom influencer, but especially when you have a platform of 1 million, I really can't envision a world where you don't have some sort of responsibility to talk about your beliefs. There's been a couple of pieces written recently about which momfluencers spoke up. Um, Stephanie McNeil did a piece sort of highlighting the stance of various Mormon momfluencers who at least said something mm -hmm. about reproductive rights. Um, but a lot of them, especially ones, you know, with over like 100,000 followers, they have to sort of consider brand partnerships. They have to consider like, if I say this, how many followers will it alienate? If I say it in this way, can I claim some sort of both sidesism that will keep more followers, which will then ultimately impact my revenue? So there's all these ideological considerations they have to think about before speaking up on really anything that is deemed political. Mm -hmm. Isn't, you know, capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. Like they can, they can talk about like, oh, I'm so tired because my kids are driving me crazy because that is not gonna, that's not gonna touch any bottom line. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But they can't speak openly about, yeah, I had an abortion and I think everybody has the right to a safe and accessible abortion because then it's gonna alienate some of their potential followers, which is gonna alienate sponsor sponsorships and brand partnerships. And it's just the cyclical or the, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? The way everything is wrapped up in each other it, in itself is just not great. What do you think that reflects about American motherhood culture at law? What do you think that reflects about American motherhood culture at large, like beyond the momfluencer of it all, that the politics of motherhood seems just so incompatible with this? I, I don't know. There just seems to be this strange kind of disconnect there to me. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it has to do with essentialist gender norms like a good mother should naturally be a good mother and to be a good mother means not to complain and to be selfless and to be gentle and to be nurturing and all of these things should come naturally they should all be inherent and if you start speaking up about being dissatisfied with the status quo of motherhood if you start saying that maternal rights matter just as much as, you know, fetuses rights, then you're breaking the rules of good motherhood. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the myth and the cult of good, good motherhood is what makes it easy for legislators to continuously not support mothers in any real meaningful systemic ways. Do you think it's possible for us to ever bust that myth? Yeah, I think it's going to take a long ass time, but mm -hmm. there's so many people that are angry. There's that we're not going to become unangry, you know. 
like people are going to keep thinking about this and talking about this and you know, advocating for advances in maternal rights. Um, I do think it's going to take a long time though, because the archetype of mother in all caps does have so much power over us as a culture in a way that like the archetype of father does not. And I think it's so wrapped up in just aesthetics and ideals of home that it's going to be even ideals of like the nation, like it's so inherently political that it's going to be tricky to dismantle. And yeah, I don't think these women are out to hurt anyone, but I think what we see every day and the messages we consume every day impact us consciously and unconsciously. And yeah, I guess I am surprised that people can still just look at a happy mom on Instagram and think that that's like totally neutral and totally devoid of assumed value judgments. Which is also fascinating because in just thinking about the past century of women's history, white women's history and politics, especially in conservative politics, the ways that motherhood as an identity can be such a powerful political tool. And I, I don't know, I was thinking last night, well, you know, maybe maybe it's a, a good thing in a way that some of these momfluencers aren't leaning so far into that end. Well, that's and that's such a good point. Like one of the things that I had known going into researching this, but did not know the full extent of was just how much white motherhood specifically has been weaponized in so many ways and in so many different situations. I was talking to uh, academic Elizabeth McCray and she was talking about how the way we teach sex education is like completely linked to racial segregation. And she was telling me about how white mothers band together and their main opposition to segregation was that their white children might, you know, become romantically involved with black children and, you know, the white race would be in jeopardy or whatever. And so these facets and the ways that these white mothers were able to claim they were just trying to protect their children and just trying to protect their schools very much connects to current iterations of white mothers obsessed with the cult of optimization and just trying to feed my kid the right food, educate my kid in the right way, while totally remaining impervious and not speaking up about the vast, vast number of kids who are not getting enough to eat, who don't have places, safe places to live, um, the vast amount of moms who are harmed by our healthcare policies that are like taken away from their children for bullshit reasons. Like the way that we in our culture can look at a white mom, just quote unquote, minding her own business and focusing on her insular family without looking at the greater good or collective community concerns is kind of staggering. How has all of your 
writing and research affected your own motherhood identity? I used to feel way more guilt than I do now about like not enjoying aspects of motherhood. And I feel so much more empowered to not enjoy some aspects of motherhood. Like you don't enjoy all aspects of any pursuit or job. And, and I, I feel so much more empowered to say that I don't enjoy aspects of motherhood for very good reasons. Most of which have nothing to do with me as an individual and everything to do with the system in which I live and the culture in which I live. I, I, I'm so wary about, even, even though I'm following so many monsters, quote unquote, just for research, like I'm so wary of how it's bleeding into my psyche in ways that like I can't control. And I don't know, I, I do think when, <laughs> when the book is out and when I'm like, move, once I move on to a new project, I do think I'm gonna have to do some, some um, cleansing of the old timeline. <laughs> Just because I just, I talked to so many psychologists and people that study the brain and uh, we just have no way of knowing how this shit is impacting us like subconsciously and that kind of scares me. What are some examples of the kinds of things that, that you might've internalized? I mean, the na- I named my Substack in pursuit of clean countertops because I think I've really internalized the message that like cleanliness and organization and a calm living space means that your interior your interior life will reflect all those things Mm -hmm. and that is like hard to shake I also think it's really tied up in moral imperatives about motherhood and domesticity and who does the cleaning and why they do the cleaning and that one's tricky for me for sure Well, are there any major myths or misconceptions about momfluencers that need busting? Um, I mean, certainly that it's easy. Like, it is not easy. Um, It requires so much time, so much skill, so much business savvy. Um, You have to wear so many hats. I also think it requires a ton of emotional labor. Like, the effort of performing relatability and authenticity is just so psychically fraught. Um, So I think it's, yeah, I think the misconception that it's easy and that these moms are just like posting a few pretty pictures is absurd. And I think misogynistic. Um, I also think I've heard from like a few people that say like, it's awesome that they're able to monetize the labor of motherhood. And I think that's kind of overly simplistic because they're not monetizing the diaper changing or the reading to their kids before nap time or kissing their kids scraped knee. They're monetizing the performance mm-hmm. of motherhood, which is a totally different thing. So they're still doing all the maternal labor and the domestic labor in addition to performing the maternal and domestic labor. So it's, when you think about it that way, it's, Again, the only word I can come up with is fraught. (laughs) Unladies, I am so curious to know what y'all think about all of this. Did it answer maybe any questions that you've had while scrolling through your Instagram feeds? 
Have you yourself come under the momfluence? Let me know your thoughts. Hello at unladylike.co is where you can email me or send me your voice memos. You can also DM me on Instagram at unladylikemedia. And thank you so much to Sarah Peterson for talking to me back in May of 2022. You can now get Sarah's book everywhere. It is called A Momfluence Inside the Maddening Picture Perfect World of Mommy Influencer Culture. I highly recommend Sarah's Substack as well. I am a faithful reader of In Pursuit of Clean Countertops. You can also follow Sarah on Instagram and Twitter at Sarah Louise Peterson. And that's Peterson with an E. Now I mentioned that up until now, my interview with Sarah had been an Unladies Room exclusive over on the Patreon, patreon.com slash unladylikemedia. And I am so excited for this week's upcoming Unladies Room interview with none other than podcast royalty, my fellow Kristen on the mic, Kristen Meinzer. You know her from By the Book, How to Be Fine, and her newest podcast will be focusing on The Daily Fail. And yeah, that's a play on The Daily Mail. Because like me, Kristen Meinzer loves a good tabloid. We love to loathe them. And Kristen has all sorts of tabloid history that she is going to be blowing my mind with. It's going to be a lot of fun. So head over to patreon.com slash unladylikemedia so you can hear that conversation. Unladylike is an Unladylike Media production, executive produced, hosted, written, and edited by me, Kristen Conger. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Until next week, what is the most unladylike thing about you? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> the first thing that came to mind is sitting. <laughs> Anytime I walk or run or whatever, I just need to sit a lot. <laughs> it's, like, it's like really disgusting and like guttural, like gross, funny spitting. Gotta get that shit out. <laughs>